0: Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 188 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this installment of the podcast... I'll be digging into the vast musical universe of Derek Higgins, an artist and musician who has been active in the Omaha, Nebraska music community since the 1970s. Higgins has played in numerous bands over the years, including Norman and the Rockwells, Digital Sex, RAF, Andrema, and Sun Ambulance, to name a few. And more recently, he's been playing in the David Nance group which through that connection I was able to discover Higgins' impressive back catalogue of self-released solo material, along with his highly enjoyable and insightful YouTube channel that he's been doing for over a decade now, where he discusses records from his collection but also reflects on what's happening in his life and in the world around us. This past week I was able to chat with Derek about his musical background his solo recordings, and his YouTube channel. And we also spent some time discussing his excellent new album called Future Still that was released just a few weeks ago on the Chicago-based label FPE Records. You'll get to hear the entirety of that interview and segments throughout the show, along with a broad overview of the music that he's been making for the past four decades. Before we get into the first interview segment, I thought I'd start off by playing a few tracks from Derek's solo back catalogue, starting with the opening song off of his 2004 album simply titled Derek 2. This is The Door. I guess, Derek, given your background and just how much you've done over the years, I can honestly say coming into this, I was a little bit intimidated. Like, where do I begin to talk (laughs) with this guy? But um, I know that you've responded to this question numerous times over the years, and you know, but for... Maybe our listeners who are unfamiliar, I thought maybe we could just briefly jump in and describe some of your your musical upbringing because sure, you sure. come from an incredibly musical family uh, and, and an interesting tidbit that I discovered is that, you know, through the years, people like Coltrane, Miles Davis actually passed through Omaha and your household, in yeah. fact. So maybe if yeah, you could I'm share only... a little bit about that. Sure. Well,
1: my my parent, both my parents were musicians, and my dad is originally from Paducah, Kentucky, and was raised in Chicago, and so he ended up um, becoming uh, part of the what they call the hot jazz scene in Chicago when he was a, a kid, and um, and so consequently, he uh, grew up with Johnny Griffin. That's another jazz name. I don't know if you know, uh, but. Um, When we, uh, he met my mom on the road, they were in two different bands and one thing led to another and then they ended up getting married. And here in Omaha, um, even though it wasn't a big spot on the, um, on the um, map regarding music, it was actually a hub between Chicago, St. Louis and Kansas city. And so um, a lot of traveling musicians would play here. My dad knew a lot of them besides, um, for example, me sitting on John Coltrane's lap as a little boy. Um, people like um, Dexter Gordon, uh, like I said, Miles Davis have come through. Um, my dad played with T-Bone Walker, and um, and then I kind of have to. Uh, oh yeah, another person I remember is Rasan Roland Kirk. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. So. Um, Uh, my mom stopped playing when she started having kids but my dad tried to uh, balance the two and that has a lot to do with uh, the the musicians they would come through visit have jam sessions my dad would actually play gigs in town with some of the folks so and then it's on both sides of my family besides my dad my grandfather before he became a minister he was a blues musician Mm -hmm. as and as well as my uncles my uncles had a band called the jungle rhythm boys and they actually toured with the duke ellington orchestra oh, wow
0: Man.
1: among other things and so all these people and then you know about preston love um omaha legend Well, i grew up with around preston and my my dad was friends with johnny otis so i was around Suggy otis as a kid but i didn't really know him mm-hmm. okay so all kinds of people i you know right. i can't even remember half the people yeah
0: right so it's just truly like It's in your blood, born to be a musician. Yeah, it really is. Throughout my family, and was that? I mean, given this type of environment, and I know that you're a huge, huge record collector. Was collecting music something that sort of came along and ran parallel to playing music, or Uh, were you interested in playing first?
1: No, no, no. It's it's you know, I was a child, you know, so it was a. The best way I can describe my memory, my experience, is that. I was fascinated with sound. Um, I loved music before I could talk, but I was fascinated with the record player and the radio as things. And at that time, that was that was technology, was a record player, radio. And um, uh, besides listening, I used to love to sit and watch them spin. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then I was surrounded by musicians. My dad would have rehearsals at our house, jam sessions. And so from a very early age, I was surrounded by people playing music. It was fascinating besides the sound of it, but watching people uh, make music was very intense and fascinating. So they both, they go together. They really do.
0: Sure, sure. I I mean, I know you play a variety of instruments and, and produce and work with sound, but I guess bass has probably been your primary instrument. At what point did that sort of take hold i mean i always hear bands starting up especially punk bands it was like out of necessity well we needed a bass player was that for you <laughs> or did you did you take to the bass just as an instrument on its own
1: well there there is some of that involved in it i originally wanted to play guitar but i started on wind instruments as a child you know with my dad uh, trying to teach me how to play tr- flute and trumpet first and then when I got up the, the uh, courage to ask for a guitar for Christmas, I didn't get it. Um, he got it for my brother instead. Um, and, you know, he, you know, it seems cold, but he was right. He said, well, I got the, the guitar for your brother because I know he'll practice and you won't. And he, and he was right, you know. I eventually got my own guitar at 15, a nylon acoustic guitar, but I just learned how to play chords and taught myself over records. I didn't want to. a guitar player i just wanted to play Mm -hmm. so then the next important thing that happened for me was cream and jack bruce on bass Mm -hmm. um i was aware of the bass before that but jack was very visceral um and very powerful in his approach to the bass and that turned me on so that's when i decided that you know i like the bass my older brother also, a parallel, my older brother picked up the bass probably probably before this, and so I would sneak and try to learn how to play bass on his bass, mm-hmm. okay? But it was Jack Bruce that got me to want to play bass as opposed to trying to be a guitar player in bands.
0: Okay, okay. Well, another thing about kind of your past that you've mentioned a, a few times in, in your YouTube videos and another other couple of recent interviews was there in your high school years, you encountered these quote unquote, military brats who came with them, uh, Mm -hmm. and kind of exposed you to things like kraut rock and other more adventurous, maybe progier sounds. And and I guess, you know, first, what were some of the bands that you got into? And I guess, secondly, you know, were those records easy to come by in Omaha at that time, as you were discovering this other area of music?
1: Well, no, and I can take credit for helping to break that as a result of my, uh, it was the Reese brothers, (laughs) the Reese brothers, and I met in uh, my senior year of high school, and they had just moved back from France, their Air Force, brats, And um, I was already into Pink Floyd and Frank Zappa, and and Uriah Heep and stuff like that, as well as jazz, and I had already been turned on to Stravinsky, John Cage, and Steve Reich already. My older brother turned me on to them. But when it came to rock, um, the way that it happened was uh, back in the day, you would carry albums like badges of honor, you know, (laughs) to school or wherever. And one day I had Waka Waka by Frank Zappa uh, uh, among my books. And that captured uh, Paul. Paul was my classmate. It, It caught his attention and we got to talking. And so, um, I think the first bands that he turned me onto were Tan, Ashra Temple, Faust. I mean, really, the uh, the hot items that were being pushed by the English music press at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Faust, Henry Cow. He basically turned me onto those bands, and um, they had brought the records back with them. And when I started looking for them in Omaha. I couldn't find them in Omaha, but I could find them in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is an hour away, and that's a college town. Mm -hmm. So they had a record store that kind of matched, like a college. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're cheap, so there I couldn't afford things. I would go down there and really, basically, just you know, browse with the mouth watering, and maybe I could buy a, a record every now and then. But that was, and then I um. Encouraged Omaha's store, Homer's, to start carrying imports. Yeah, and they they did,
0: they uh, did. Yeah, I was just going to ask you: Is this sort of the uh, the the classic import bin that used to come mm-hmm. in of records that where you would discover that's these it. things? Yeah, that's
1: it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. And like I said, Homer's didn't even have it, but at my insistence, because I worked there at Homer's on and off from almost the beginning, they started to bring in imports and yeah. it went on from there.
0: God, you mentioned discovering Cage and Reich in high school at a young age. Well, that, actually, that, grade school. In grade school, actually, really. That that to me yeah. seems like for for a lot of people, listeners, that that that's a progression that you need to arrive at maybe later on. What was it about that music early that that struck uh, caught your attention? I should say.
1: Well, I can give credit not only to my brother but also to my parents. Mm-hmm. As I said, both of my parents were um, musicians. But early on, um, they um, this is the early 60s, and um, we're all attuned to civil rights and racism. And so my parents were very um, aware and wanted us to be prepared for the world. And so what I'm saying is that my, my mom taught me how to read before I was in kindergarten, okay? Mm-hmm. Besides that, my parents had full um, sets of encyclopedias, and then back in those days, you would have these library of sound, uh, multi-volume record sets that you could buy that would would, um, give you examples of everything from the Baroque to the Renaissance to uh, the avant-garde to musicals, okay? And so I remember my parents bought one of those sets when I was really young. And they just made sure that myself and my brothers and sisters were exposed to as many types of music as possible. So the other thing was, as kids, we went to the, the public library a lot. And, and my older brother was the one who first started checking out records. And we loved classical music because of our, my parents. When my brother was struck by the uh, intensity of Stravinsky, okay? So that was... The starting point where we started to listen to things that were a little more edgy, Um, it just kind of oriented us. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you, yeah. In, in terms of thinking back to what your parents, were they trying to expose you to as many works and as many walks of life as possible to prepare you for what you were going to encounter down the road, you think?
1: Partially, yes, yeah. and uh, also be to fight, to help us fight the stigma. That we were dealing with with uh, white with with racism mm-hmm. and the assumed position of white superiority. Right. That we had to they said well you have you know you do you have to show that you're as good as anybody else smart as anybody else. And these are some these are some necess- important components of modern life beyond reading writing and arithmetic, but having a sense of the arts and a sense of the world.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: that's definitely from my parents. That was yeah. a big part of it. Yeah. And-
0: that's got to be kind of special for you thinking about, you know, where you're at in terms of, and we'll talk a little bit more about this with like your YouTube channel and and music, how that really has become a, a way for you. To, I mean, you've connected with so many people through music. Like that is such a, a conduit uh, to connect with people. Would you say has that become like you think where you're at now and some of those lessons learned from your parents back then, is that something that you really that you've hold on to, you're like, dang, they knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah it's a continuum.
1: It's yeah. absolutely a continuum. You know, I'm very, feel very blessed to be a member of my family. And mm-hmm. uh, my nephew's in town uh, because of my brother's passing. And so we've been getting to know each other much better as adults. And we talk about that. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we share a pride in our family line where um, we, we consciously attempt to be, cultivated, here and connected. Mm -hmm. And um, music really is a universal language. And um, historically, there's many instances where you can see that music was at the forefront of social change, especially here in America. Civil rights and all that. um, Maybe a lot of people don't know, but one of the things that helped to spark civil rights becoming public and in a movement were songs and in particular uh, a couple songs by Curtis Mayfield and the impressions. Yeah. Yeah. So I've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. And other, other, other music, I don't even necessarily know to mention, but, but music absolutely is a, um, a glue that, that along with all the other arts, there would be no cultures. We, I don't think we'd have societies Mm -hmm. without that component. Right. Right. Very important. Very important
0: not to branch away from this this topic that we're on right now but i thought we would kind of lead into this first block of music here and and sure. i should mention that you know my entry point into the, the Derek higgins universe was through the david nance group um and discovering okay. you're you're playing through david nance and in fact you're on uh this live cassette that uh Trouble in Mind came out and it was a recording of the Goner show, the virtual performance that you did in the backyard. And I was right. just wanted first, to wanted to know how you got yeah. involved in playing with uh, the Nance group. Um,
1: through record collecting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I first started to uh, run into David Nance at a record shop called Almost Music. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that he was in a band that I knew of before that. The band was called the Shanks. And I was familiar with John from the band, The Shanks, but David wasn't in the band the last time I saw them. So anyway, I started to run into David at this record shop. Um, and uh, we vibed talking about different things and then come to find out that he's record, you know, he has um, his own background and that he was, you know, doing things. and. Uh, Years ago, I thought to myself, "Why should be playing with this guy?" You know, and <laughs> you know, eventually it just happened. You
0: know. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Well, I'm going to play uh, a piece from that uh, the track called "When the Covers Come Off," and I remember hearing this, thinking, "Man, the bass really swings on this track." So, <laughs> here is the too. David Nance Group from uh, their live cassette, September 20th, 2020. <laughs>
3: in Y yo...
0: My understanding you you worked in the mental health field for yeah. over 30 years which yeah. uh undoubtedly incredibly challenging profession to be in um so i'm curious to learn about the role that music played in your life during that time period um you know assuming it was something that you turned to during that just kind of as, a, as an outlet or for your own you know well-being but i was wondering kind of tying well, back to... let me go
1: let me jump in let me oh, jump yep, in actually yep. i did not actually i did not turn to it okay it's been a it's been a continuum and and let me explain since sure. this is maybe something you didn't pick up on my mom dropped out of music because of health issues including mental health
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay and so um she developed head what they call head noises and basically lost her hearing When she was um, pregnant with, I think, my younger sister. But there was a psychiatric component where people didn't believe her, that she really couldn't believe, couldn't hear, okay? But we were too poor to afford hearing aids, and so she learned how to read lips. Now, what's important here is because of all that at a young age, mental illness, craziness, the mind, I was interested because of the dynamic in my family and what was going on with my mom and people in the in the community and family. And so, um, another aspect of my personality is that I'm a I'm a people person. I'm a good I'm a I'm a good listener, and um, I'm spiritual. They thought I was going to be a minister as a kid. And that's a whole other thing, but it all ties together in that my fascination and deep love for music, as well as my interest in understanding life, what's going on with my mom, myself, am I crazy? It all ties together. And so music, in regards to my mental health career years, was very, was integral. Um, um, I'm not exactly sure how to. Maybe you could ask another question, but it was very tied in. Yeah, Always. yeah.
0: I guess I, I guess part of what I wanted to ask was, you know, not only for yourself, but kind of like what we were talking about previously is that did you find music as a way to connect with people during that time? That oh, like yes. just as a source, not even even as simple as a, a conversation piece. Was it something no, that was okay?
1: Absolutely, music was a very important um, connector in my in my work mm-hmm. on a individual level as well as I was what I was a mental health rehabilitation specialist. That, mm-hmm. That's that was what I ended up being, not a counselor, and so I was a I was a um, educator as well as um, a person who worked directly with people. So I would run groups and I would run the gamut of groups of things like everything from anger management to. Um, medication uh, understanding to music, appreciation to taking people to concerts, literally, um, in groups. And um, it was always a very strong component both ways, you know, because I saw where music is, in most instances, a very positive presence in people's lives that I've also experienced where music is a trigger for people's symptoms and memories and, and other things like that. So um, it's always been a very powerful tool, if you can say, in my arsenal of in, of dealing with with people. I'm retired, but my my uh, role in the community here in Omaha is pretty well established. That this is who I am. I'm I'm a helper. I'm I'm someone that people to this day, you know, yeah. Right. And music is a big right. part of it.
0: Thinking about that, like early 2000s, where it seemed as though your solo music started to pick up, um, you know, you, that music at that time had a much more dreamy, sort of ambient, spacious quality. Which, mm-hmm. you know, looking back, I mean, you were playing hardcore punk and stuff for that. So I was mm-hmm. kind of interested if, if, you know, that was that change was also in line with kind of finding some sort of peace and calming uh, in your life. Uh, with the work that you were doing
1: oh that's sweet that's a very nice question the answer is actually that the the streams of music were in place already and in my mind in my life they were like this okay Mm -hmm. there's a continuum from um my childhood roots of chuck berry little richard the church and then the beatles and then psychedelia into prog rock into punk into ambient, mm-hmm. um, like Johnny Rotten said, he was a closet Van de Graaff generator fan when he was in <laughs> Sex Pistols. Right, see, yeah. when when the whole way that punk became a household word, I thought punk started back in the '60s when I first heard A.E. Pop mm-hmm. and um, and uh, MC5. And to me, the music just all is seamlessly connected. You have your music when you need to be loud and aggressive or you're being cathartic and that kind of music can be anything from free jazz to punk rock to really hard rock like Black Sabbath and then you have your quiet times and then, or moments when you're more calm and then you're listening to things like Nick Drake. And, but then when you, even before Eno there was things like uh, Eric Satie and things like Debussy and Ravel, where I, to me a lot of that stuff is ambient already. Right. So, for for me, other than the surface social um, fabric of what's cool and that's cool, what's not cool with your peers, to me the music all always ran together in a in a large stream,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just depending on what's happening at me at any time of the day or week that's the music that I was listening to. I, it all, and I, even more so now I see the whole picture where things run into one another. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I guess maybe going a little bit further with that that question Mm -hmm. because like that sound that I'm describing, I, I had read that you had done some recording work with the artist Laraji. Who yeah, is someone right here in this room? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, and he's someone I've just been listening to a lot the last few weeks. So I was just interested to find out how that all came to be, and if and if that ever appeared on proper recordings, because I was trying to look through your discography and I couldn't yeah. tell if that was or not.
1: Well, I've contacted. I've, I've tried to contact Laraji and his management many times to say, "Can I release this?" And I never hear back from them. Mm-hmm. And it was just a. It was came about as a thing that I was doing in the 90s with a group locally called the Healing Arts Council that I joined. And we were um, we were involved with helping to bring um, Tibetan monks who would go on tour to raise money for the monasteries. We helped to bring them to Omaha for the first time. And it was that Healing Arts Council connection where another event that we decided to do um, early in the 2000s was to bring Laraji to Omaha for a concert. Mm-hmm. Um, because again I was a fan other members of the council were fans and uh, when he got here he was just he was just he did not only a concert but he did a workshop a laughter workshop which is incredible and then he came over and we got to hang out and jam for hours it was just amazing right right yeah right right. you know it's funny I I I've gone from Laraji jamming in this room to, to Rick Agnew from the adolescence and Christian death in the same room hanging out and, and jamming.
0: A lot of cool stuff has happened in that room. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah. But in in looking at your discography at about 2001 with the release of your album Nice, um, yeah. your, your solo output really kind of started and picked up pace. Yeah. Um, and I was just kind of curious to learn about you know the album nice and was that sort of a turning point for you a, yes. as a solo artist
1: it really was because nice was not conceived of as an album what what happened was okay historically um digital sex happened in the early 80s and that i started that band and it was my attempt to see what could happen with the music business okay And um, a lot of interesting things happened, but as often happens in bands, I fell out with the lead singer and we were the two, I guess, main movers behind the business. And it, it ended, I was like really soured on being in the music business because of that. So I dropped out of playing live in the 90s for a while and was just recording at home a lot on four track for therapy purposes and just because. I just have to make music. And started to build up this backlog of of stuff. And some of it seemed like it was pretty good. And so I started to go through that to pick out stuff that I thought could present well as an album. And once I put that together and called it nice, um, that's when I started to think, well, I don't think I'm done with this. And the next solo record, Derek number no. two, which I released in 2004, that's when I set goals that, yeah, I'm not done with music, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to keep going. Keep doing it. So the Beatles really did change my life. The Ed Sullivan appearance, it was a cosmic moment in the world and I felt it. And um, I was fascinated by Beatlemania, the whole British invasion but the thing that I wanted from it wasn't the fa- the false fame or the girls. What I wanted was to make records.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna mm-hmm. play something from the album Nice here to start off this next block. I'm gonna play the track called For the Times, and oh, and a quick yeah. little maybe music nerd question for you before we jump into it. Yeah. That font used on Nice. Mm-hmm. I know that's from referencing another record can you it seems as though it is i'm trying to think no no
1: well honestly when i did it it, i wasn't thinking about anybody else but what's the other record that it
0: refers to that's what i'm trying to think of because it looks familiar to me but maybe i'm thinking of some british like prog or psych record but maybe i'm wrong
1: frankly the honestly the only Personal thing I can think of, but I was kind of thinking about Lord of the
2: Rings. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's it. All right. um, Yeah.
0: There we go. Well, here is Derek Higgins in the track for The Times. I went back and and I watched several of your early videos that you made on your YouTube channel. Now, that was a task, by the way, trying to scroll back through them because there is a (laughs) lot of videos on there. There are, there are. I I found it interesting to watch your very first post that you did where you're sharing records from your collection, and, and at some points you're even kind of confessing a few reservations about even posting it you're like I'm not I'm not yeah. sure if I'm gonna post this though I'm just kind of interested in this record community that's out there but yeah in a very short period you know I watched the first few videos it, it's almost that you could see like your enthusiasm about the music and talking about it just take hold <laughs> and sort of became like there was like a momentum that couldn't be stopped after that point. So I I guess what drew you towards using YouTube as a platform for sharing and exploring, I guess, your musical interests? Well, um,
1: I would say it has to do with the fact that actually when I was a small, when I was a kid in in grade school in the sixties, I would fantasize about being able to um, have my own TV show for one thing. And then another thing, when I was a kid, I can remember sitting in classrooms, uh, bored with class, looking at a textbook, looking at a picture and imagining that one day we would have a book that, where the picture would come to life Mm -hmm. and you would be able to watch the picture from the moment it was took until into the future. That, was the internet that's that was my so so when I first got my computer in 94 and started to familiarize myself with what was happening on it and then found YouTube and at first YouTube wasn't interesting it was it wasn't until I just came across somehow someone showing their records and I said oh my goodness there's people who collect records and they're showing that's what I want to do And that's that was really the start of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you. But I you, always wanted the idea. I yeah. always
1: liked the idea that that I have something to present, something to say, yeah. and then I could do
0: it. It was kind of uh, yeah, the bringing together of a few world, worlds. What you imagined as a kid, with obviously your huge obsession in music, right? It was yes, a perfect absolutely. perfect vehicle for that.
1: Yeah, it is. Because again, my uh, again, I was just sharing it with uh, my nephew Kareem and another friend that was over the other day, we were talking about trajectories in life, you know, and both of them were talking about how they, they're younger than me, but they're kind of still searching mm-hmm. for things that, you know, really define them. And they were both saying where well, it's like, you're kind of ahead of us where you knew uh, for a long time. And the fact of the matter is, it's true, you know, for as long as I can remember, music has just been the number one thing for me in, in life.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that channel that you've done has obviously evolved over the past decade. I mean, you've amassed quite a number of subscribers and and And, and maybe... I never asked for subscribers. I never asked oh, right, for subscribers. Right, right, a very natural <laughs> progression, right? I mean, that yeah. it's just evolved and in some ways there's... I mean I maybe it's a stretch but I, I a little bit of a community uh, around your show yeah um Thank you. there is there yeah is. um there is in the beginning the videos that you were posting though were pretty focused just on 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 records and the details about the music but you know now as the show's progressed it has it's taken on in some respects while music is still the primary focus mm-hmm. there has more of a for lack of a better word like a diaristic quality to it, where you're much more open about sharing things in your personal life, politi- yeah. politics, etc. You know, at what point yes. in, in this progression of this show, did you feel more comfortable opening up to things beyond just the records?
1: Part, part of the opening up came after I started to, after I first encountered trolls <laughs> and started to learn how to, de- first to understand what trolling is, and then how to deal with it, and then to move past it, because that actually kind of awakened in me the idea that I do have a lot more to talk about than just music, and that some of what I share, beyond what I know, is going to be useful to other people. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of it. That was part of what got me to just open up more.
0: Right. How 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 far into your run of doing the the show did, did that ta- did that occur? Was it a few years, a few months? Yeah, it was a few years. A
1: few, it was okay. a few years, yeah. Okay.
0: And the first the first
1: troll just really caught me by surprise and I responded publicly. I've deleted that video since and a couple because they just jumped all over me because that's what they want. I didn't know, you know, they just want a response. It's not about making sense about anything at all. It's just about it's pretty senseless actually. Mm-hmm. And as a mental health specialist, I see what's going on with people who troll and there are definite problems. You're not in a good place if you're trolling. You're not yeah. with yourself.
0: You're not. Yeah. yeah you're, you're addressing something that I wanted to follow up with about is, you know, as you open yourself up and, and YouTube has become uh, quite a cesspool of Bad information, misinformation, yes. bad behavior, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, yes. You know, how are you able to now deal with this aspect of YouTube? I mean, you're talking about it right now, but right. what what has been your strategy <laughs> or tactics to do thank it? You. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for asking because I just, part of my approach to life in general is to remain in the moment as much as possible. And be willing to learn, to, to to remain present. Okay. So what I'm saying is, like, I just dealt with some trolls this morning and deleted. Okay. Now, the, what I'm learning is a continuum. Okay. And what I'm what helps me to just continue with what I'm doing is further clarity about what I'm dealing with, which is as I continue to make videos and when I do address trolls because they leave stuff and I delete it it becomes more and more clear their attempts to um, trigger me what's going on Mm -hmm. and that just makes me stronger in realizing that this behavior is indicative of personal problems or someone who is in arrested development or some sort of another deficit um people who just want to create chaos people who are racist because some of the trolls trolling is very openly racist okay and so number one through my work with people over the years and many other experiences i've learned to not be afraid of people i'm not afraid of anyone we all operate from the reality in our minds okay as opposed to assuming that we're all living in the same world. So people, when they come at me, that's their mentality. I am not afraid of that. It doesn't have any power over me. If anything, it's a challenge to me to try and be more clear about what I understand and share that. Because the most recent um, comments that I've had to delete from my YouTube channel are senseless. Mm they're senseless it's like this person is at a level of ignorance that that's the thing about stupid stupid doesn't see it's stupid and then the other thing is like is someone actually you know has some program bots whether just because it's 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 some of it is um really stupidly political and and i've made it clear that i'm not political my whole thing with trump was how mentally ill and racist all that was it was just horrifying Mm -hmm. i'm not into politics and yet part of the trolling is still about that. Yeah, you know, yeah. bothering me about Biden. It's like, Biden is just a politician. Right. Biden is just a politician. They all are. If you go back, you saw where I was ragging on Obama. He didn't fool me. They don't <laughs> fool me. Yeah. So I have clarity about what I see in the world. And I'm have enough clarity to know that no one else's view supersedes mine. Mm-hmm. So I'm not afraid yeah. to speak What's on my mind, and much less, whenever I deal with people like this in person. And these people, I would love to talk to them in person because when I do, it's like, well, we settle it real quick. Right. Who's got a problem?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I have experience with people twice my size trying to intimidate me, and it's like that. Ain't, you don't intimidate nobody. <laughs> I see right through you. Yeah, right yeah. through your mess. <laughs>
0: Maybe we can we can flip around what we were just talking about and look at maybe the positive side of, of what's come there. out of that that channel that you've created and that and like I said, a really kind of a good community that's formed around what you do. And, and mm-hmm. could you maybe talk about how how that has also fueled your solo work and even some of the records that you've put out in the last you know decade or so?
1: Well, you know, I would have to say that the YouTube channel, has not really had any direct effect on the way I make music,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but what it has what it has shown me is the reality of the the world's connectedness. And as large as the planet is, it's also very small.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and um, and it's just really great to know that, you know, I'm I'm not the only person who likes certain types of music. I'm glad to know that there are a lot of other people who are kind of on the same wavelength as myself. Um when I travel and it's been ten plus years now, when I travel, I'm not just Omaha but I encounter people when I travel. I saw you on YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, and it's always really good. Yeah. It's yeah. always it's a it's a overall the sense of community has really grown and Another thing I'm not surprised by, but I'm happy about, is that a, a lot of my viewers are over in England, in the mm-hmm. UK. And that doesn't surprise me because a big part of my history is British rock and British yeah. music, uh, you know, even maybe more so than American at, mm-hmm. at a certain point.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe uh, we could talk about, as a little segue here, about your new record. Future Still that just came out on FPE Records. A fantastic release. Um, One of the things that I really like about this is that this is a record that sounds like it could have came out in any of the last, like, uh, 50 years. You know, like, (laughs) it, 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 it sounds like... You know, it could have been a late 70s Cosmiche record or some like little electro funk from the 80s. But it could have came out last week, which it did. You know, it came out so recently. And let's be honest, there are some things on Future Still that, as the kids say, slaps, Derek. Yes. (laughs) There's some stuff that bumps and slaps, right? So Thank you. Yes, I appreciate that. Yes, thank you. So let's just talk about it. What what was the kind of time frame and span and the work that you were doing for this particular record
1: okay at the beginning of 2020 um before covid hit um i was looking to have a pretty active year of playing live and um one of the upcoming shows that i was really looking forward to in may was going to be in being the backing band for damo suzuki formerly of can Mm -hmm. we were going to be some we were going to be his sound carriers for his omaha show and then when COVID hit in March and everything really went into lockdown, um, that, losing that as well as some other gigs did seem to um, unlock that, the next wave of, of recording and songwriting because I just kind of like do it when it arises. Now I can be disciplined and say, I'm gonna go into the studio and work today and maybe something will happen but usually what i do is i'll just let something arise and then go work at it that's most of um future still was uh, conceived and recorded between march april and may of 2020 and it was inspired i guess by the fact that i had to work at home
2: mm-hmm.
1: but the music itself the songs, CV, for example, is not from there. That's an older track. But most of them, there was not a concept before I started. I would either chase a beat or a sound or a melodic fragment in my head that would lead to the track's building.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and it has a nice... So you said you, you knew you were working at home. Most of your re- recordings are... From home, though, right? If I'm not mistaken, most of the solo stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, But this one has, I mean, and I can't say that I've heard every single album you've put out because you put out a lot of stuff, Mm -hmm. but there Mm -hmm. is like a kind of, um, kind of a nice, I don't want to say polish, but there's a nice crisp tone to this one, yeah. It's a good pressing too, but a very crisp sound. To this this record, something that you dialed, and were you dealing with uh, new recording material or, or equipment at all? That's different than what you've used yeah. before.
1: Yeah, I updated my Reason. I use Reason MIDI. Okay. Um, uh, DAW uh, digital audio workstation, and I was using an older version along with Reaper. And um, I'd like to explain this uh, that. I could realize all these ideas with real instruments, but that's a whole lot more work in mm-hmm. time. That's what I like about MIDI, is that the keyboard frees me t- to realize ideas. And so when I upgraded my Reason, um, I forget when that was, um, that did also kind of inspire me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just having the upgrade in, in um, Sonics. Yeah. And it did. Um, it did spur me on to finish, try to finish ideas more because I have a lot of ideas recorded, and many of them could be presented the way they are, and many of them could be finished further or be fully produced. So with these tracks, I tried the best I could to finish, finish them.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. You started, to hear, yeah. You started to hear kind of a through line in terms of the yeah. production value of it
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I did
0: well Derek before we sign off here into this next block of music I thought maybe one final question that I should ask is you know beyond future still what are your future plans that you have or anything else in the works that you can mention thank you
1: thank you yeah I am I am pretty busy I um completed two commissions for dance this year and one was, uh, already performed the next one is in november i'm gonna be meeting with the dance troupe this week because they want me to perform live mm-hmm. along with that i've already started recording my next album hmm. um yeah the future still pro- the whole momentum has really inspired me it has and so i have um a half dozen pieces in process already working towards my next solo album. Um, Besides that, I'm really happy to say that I have connected with some musicians who I've been following and collecting their records since the 70s. The American equivalent to the Soft Machine from Canterbury, England. It's a band called The Muffins. That band was around in the 70s, made some really cool records, I have them. They've been broken up, but the leader of the band, Dave Newhouse, continues to operate under the the name mana mirage Mm -hmm. which was the name of their first album and um through long distance collaborating i'm on bass on that new album which is about to come out um there's another progressive rock band that i've never met the members but it's called cloud over jupiter they contacted me and i um added some keyboards and bass they'll be on their next album Um, I have another CD project coming out where some of my songs were... Well, my music was commissioned for this um, art exhibit that involved 60 guitars and mandolins and basses suspended from the ceiling, played by um, engineered um, plectrums that are built onto the guitars, and they play... um, arrangements of my songs mm-hmm. uh i was really pleased to get asked to uh write for this this exhibit because my music was featured along with the music of philip glass mm-hmm. among others yeah so i'm going to be releasing a, a cd of that um hopefully by the end of the year and there's more david nance well we uh, we're learning his next album and hopefully mm-hmm. we'll get started on recording that this year
0: right well i All hope right. i'll see you on the Bye. road very soon I hope so, too. <laughs> well, let's uh, let listeners check out a few tracks from the new record. I thought I would start uh, playing with the track Ramped, which I think is one of the standout tracks on it. And, Thank uh, you, And, uh, and I, think, I,
1: may, I may say that was the one where I knew that I was on to something. Yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah, I think listeners will, will pick up on that. But, Derek, this is uh, going to be wrap up our time chatting. Um, thank, thank you, you so much. So much. It's been it's, great. Yeah, it's been an honor talking to you, and it's been such a fun world of music and ideas and discovery uh, that I've stumbled upon through this Omaha connection, and it's been wonderful. So thanks so much for, for providing all that.
1: Thank you, David, for getting in touch with me, and
0: uh, get in touch again. I'd love to talk again. Yeah. So here's Derek Higgins and the track Ramp. That's going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I'd like to thank Derek once again for taking the time to speak with me this past week. Such a pleasure to get to chat with him and find out more about his music and life story. If you'd like to check out the complete playlist for this show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase digital and in some cases, physical copies, too. I'd also strongly encourage you to check out Derek's Bandcamp page, where there is a wealth of material to check out. That's at DerekHiggins.Bandcamp.com. That's Derek, D-E-R-E-C-K. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at ffreakouthotmail.com. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another new episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening.